Hello and welcome to the Life Beyond Limits podcast. I'm your host, Emma Gibbs-Ung. Each show I'll be using a combination of interviews with incredibly inspiring people from around the world who have achieved greatness, overcome adversity and never given up, as well as solo episodes from me sharing my own journey as a leading mindset trauma coach, helping to inspire, support and guide you to create a growth mindset so you can achieve success in all areas of your life. So are you ready to bring mindset to life and feel inspired? Let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Life Beyond Limits podcast. Today I'm joined by the amazing Annie Nackby. Annie is a transformational life coach who supports people to reach their full potential. 15 years ago, Annie almost died in the Asian tsunami, which tragically killed 230,000 people. Today, she will be sharing the impact this event has had on her life and how she has transformed it as a result of everything she's gone through, as well as how she appeared on The Oprah Show. Annie has now made it her mission to help inspire and impact over a quarter of a million people to find their deeper purpose in honor and in memory of those who tragically died in the tsunami. So, wow, welcome Annie. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Thanks Emma, and it's great to see you again and thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure, my pleasure. When we spoke uh, prior to this interview, I got a really good insight into everything that you've gone through. And I know that this introduction is just a snippet really of your life and so, if you're happy that I'm sure I will be bringing you back to, to talk about lots of other um, amazing, inspiring stories and, and circumstances. But for, for, for now, the focus is really on the, the tragic tsunami that took place 15 years ago that killed 230,000 people. Um, and I remember it well. I'm, I remember sitting there watching it and uh, I actually had friends who had very near misses and had left places the day before. Um, and I think we can all kind of relate to the impact that that has had on so many lives. And so firstly, I just want to say a massive thank you for you coming on today to, to share your experience in the tsunami. Um, and, you know, I hope that I honour your story in the best way possible. So um, firstly, thank you very much for, for being here and being so open. Um, if you wouldn't mind, if we could just start by just talking about the day of the tsunami or a few days leading up to because you were in Sri Lanka at the time, is that right? Yes, I was. So I had gone to Sri Lanka for Christmas to visit my best friend who had emigrated there from the UK and had invested in a beachfront hotel on the east coast of Sri Lanka in a little place called Aragon Bay, which mm -hmm. was supposed to be in season at that time of year. And we had gone out to Sri Lanka the year before actually, when she had been looking for her little piece of paradise to emigrate to. And yeah. what she after she had found this place I had also uh, found a piece of land on the beach and had on an impulse on my penultimate day on the island bought that piece of land so my trip to Sri Lanka was twofold it was one to visit my best friend and spend Christmas with her in her new guest house and it was also to meet with um, my own developers and architects after Christmas and New Year to talk yeah. about developing my own land as well. So that's kind of why I was there at that time. Mm -hmm. And first time I had visited Sri Lanka, I kind of fell in love with the country. And I'd always, I'm from London, so I always had this little bit of a disconnect living in London because it's such a busy city. As much as I yeah. love London, I felt like a little bit disconnected from, I suppose, my spirit self or my my sort of like um, soulful self. And so when I was in Sri Lanka, I really fell in love with the place and I really felt my soul sort of singing there. And I felt yeah. very creative and, you know, really free in a way that I hadn't felt when I was in London. So I wanted to create this life, this kind of like life of living part of the year 
on a beautiful tropical island and part of the year in London because I knew that I didn't want to do the nine to five Monday to Friday year in year out kind of thing it was just sure, kind yeah. of my sort of thing so that's how come I was there at the time yeah and do you know what it's, you know I've not been to Sri Lanka personally but um I know a great number of people who have and certainly from what I've seen it it is beautiful and having been in London just this weekend with the chaos and everything I can understand why you were drawn to to um looking to buy some land over there so um so obviously as you said you you just purchased this land it was Christmas time you were with your best friend and then the tsunami struck yeah so we'd gone out partying obviously on Christmas day and Christmas mm -hmm. Eve so I had a hangover on Boxing Day and um, I was asleep at the time that the tsunami hit because it was quite early in the morning it was 8 30 in the morning and I kind of heard and I and I always wear earplugs and an eye mask as well so um, but I kind of heard a bit of a commotion outside and but because I was hungover, I kind of was like I didn't really want to find out what was going on or anything. I just ignored it and rolled over and tried to go back to sleep again. And then, of course, you know, the tsunami hit and that was, that was the rest of my, that was the end of my sleeping journey for that day. Yeah. So it hit while you were in your bedroom? It did, yes. Yeah. So I was asleep at the time and I... Um, the first that I knew about it was that um, my door flung open and uh, all this water started coming in. And in the split second that it took me to sort of like rouse myself, the whole hut had filled with water. Wow. From the top to the bottom. And wow. I didn't have any idea of what was going on. I had no clue, obviously. One minute I was fast asleep, the next minute I was drowning in underwater. Gosh, that must just be absolutely horrendous. Was it just you in, your, in the room? It was just me, yes. I was there on holiday, I was single at the time, and mm -hmm. I was on holiday on my own, visiting my best friend there. Gosh. So, I mean, obviously you're, you're in this room, so are you able to share sort of what happened next? What was going through your mind? like? Well, obviously, you know, the main thing that's going through your mind when something like that happens is it's pure survival. There yeah. is no thinking about anything else. All the other things that you've ever done in your life, whether it be work, whether it be anything else, it's none of it's relevant. The only thing that is relevant is how do you get some air and where the hell is up? Because And because I had a concrete hut, um, it was pitch black. The water was pitch black when it came in and there was no light in the hut. So if you can imagine, it's very difficult to actually imagine, but if you can imagine being in a dark room with a whole um, tonne of black water coming in from the ocean at like however many hundreds of miles an hour it was coming in at and all the bits of furniture in the room are getting smashed around and rolled around and you're like a grain of rice in a washing machine. Yeah, cool. And so, uh, and you're disorientated because you can't see up, you can't catch your breath because there's no, there's no air, you're underwater and you really genuinely think you're going to die, you're going to drown. And mm. you literally, you know, your life kind of flashes before your eyes. Um, I remember thinking, oh my God, I can't believe I'm going to die. And I haven't even got married or had children or done anything worthwhile with my life, you know. And that, that was the only thing that I was really concerned about. None of my career success really mattered at that, in that moment. The only things that mattered were that I hadn't found a life partner. I hadn't had children, you know, and those kind of thoughts, which is strange because I wouldn't have thought that that was the type of person that I was but um but that they were the kind of thoughts that you that you had so yeah and then obviously was like I was a grain of rice in a washing machine and um yeah and it was and I and I was drowning basically I was drowning and I was getting bashed up by all the furniture that was 
also in the soup of water with me in like a kind of whirlpool in within the um within the hut so yeah it was pretty intense yeah yeah well almost indescribable like for for someone listening it is your mind pit creates a picture but it, it, i'm sure it's n nothing like you know real life um and it must have been incredibly frightening where between that moment and when you realized you were safe sort of kind of how long did that take when when did you finally realize that perhaps you had survived what kind of went on um well i mean it took some time uh, before i was safe uh, there was a yeah. number of there was a number of times more that i thought i was going to die um and we, there was also a second tsunami that I nearly got caught up in. So it was several hours before I, I knew that I was no longer in, in mortal danger, uh, so mm. to speak. Because, mm. um, yeah, but so the whole time between then and I think probably around mid-morning, late morning, we were, you know, I was... I, 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 was battling for my life not in that one tsunami but in general because yeah. you know that, that one and then you know I got washed inland and I thought I again I thought I was going to die several times because I got trapped under a falling building and then uh, finally got thrown into the path of a tree and then um, and then I've made it to my friends and we were uh, attempting to go back towards the shore because one of my friends had got a severe injury and wanted to get a first aid box. And then we nearly got caught up in the se in a second tsunami. And our region had seven actual waves. Um, so we had quite a significant number of waves. Yeah, gosh, gosh. Um, are you okay? Yeah. Yeah, I've got a power cut where I am at the moment, and um, the, uh, so the <laughs> I'm beginning to sweat a lot because it's it's like 33 degrees here at the moment or something. Because you're actually in Sri Lanka as as I'm interviewing you, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I am. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't come back for a few years, but now I kind of still spend my winters here. Yeah, yeah, which is amazing in itself. Um, I mean, obviously that that whole like those hours that that where you were battling it is just what like unimaginable um but then as you said there was that moment where you realized that you weren't in mortal danger um and that that hopefully you had you know that you had survived that tsunami can you just talk me through the aftermath of that you know what obviously the shock the sort of what emotions kind of went through your mind over the, the days afterwards? Well, it took us um, it took us about a week to make it home because the area that we were in for the tsunami was, as I said, one of the most remote places, you know, on the east coast of Sri Lanka. It wasn't supposed to be in season at the time. And the fifth wave actually took out the bridge that connects um, that town to the rest of the country. So we were actually stranded for uh, 24 hours before we were airlifted. And the only reason that we were airlifted is because when I found out and realized that, um, that it was a Asia-wide earthquake and tsunami that had hit, um, I used to work as a journalist at the BBC and mm -hmm. I realized very soon you know, that we weren't going to get out of there because all the resources would be directed towards the more touristy areas. Sure. So I knew that the, the only way that we were going to get out of there, because we literally had no way to get out. We had a crocodile filled lagoon on one side and a jungle filled with snakes, leopards and elephants on the other side. Oh so gosh. we were kind of trapped in this place. Um, and obviously there were lots of people that were severely injured, people that were dying and um, somebody had a Jeep, so I was able to um, listen to the radio because my journalistic instincts kicked in and I 
thought I need to find out what's gone on here and um, sure enough found out that um, that there was this uh, tsunami as a result of the earthquake in Indonesia. When we started to realize that it was a Pan-Asia thing and that it wasn't just at Al Bay in Sri Lanka because at first we thought it was just a freak wave or something and then I knew that we would, we would only be able to get out if we got press coverage. So I was then able to contact, I don't know how I remembered this, but I remembered the number of the BBC switchboard from when right. I used to work there a few years before. This is in the day before smartphones and before, um, you know, iPads and all that kind of thing. So it was literally after having nearly drowned a number of times, mm. the number the BBC switchboard came to my head and I was like I need to contact the BBC get them mm. to contact the British High Commission and tell them you know how many people there are here who's here and all that kind of thing mm -hmm. and to rescue us but that did I, I did do that um, but that they didn't actually come to rescue us until the following day because um, by the time I managed to get hold of them, it was like late afternoon and it was going to be dark before they would be able to send the choppers. So um, the guy from the High Commission, Colin, who was the Deputy High Commissioner at the time, he, um, he promised me that they would send the choppers through in the morning. Right. So it took a few days to get back to Colombo. And then when we were actually back in Colombo, um, me and my the, the sort of we we formed a gang of six there was myself my best friend and her boyfriend the swedish couple that were staying next to my hut um and that i'd spent christmas with and one guy who had actually lost his partner in the tsunami who is um a tv celebrity in the u.s called nate burkis and used to appear on regularly on the oprah show doing makeovers for people's houses so the six of us, we traveled together and then um, we were all planning on staying in the country to help out with the relief effort. We actually went round, um, Nate had some money wired over, we went round and bought lots of milk packets and, you know, we were all planning on staying and volunteering um, and until there was a news broadcast that there was an aftershock in India a few days later. Uh, on, it was very close to New Year's Eve, and I think that the panic of potentially going through another tsunami made us mm. all decide to just leave as quickly as possible. Mm. So we actually mm. left the country on New Year's Eve. But until the point of the tsunami, which was on Boxing Day, which was the 26th of December, until New Year's Eve, we were still uh, in Aragon Bay, then we were airlifted to Ampara, and then we were uh, then we travelled back slowly back to Colombo by car and we didn't arrive back until about the 28th of December, I think, to Colombo. Yeah, gosh. And had it hit you then, the, like the enormity of it all, or was there still like shock and, and like things going in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I remember going into the British High Commission um, to get my um, my letter, my document to travel. And of course, we've been listening to the radio and as soon as we'd managed to make it back to Colombo, the first thing that we did was we put the TV onto BBC News. But even then, the, the, the death toll was, was quite small and every day it would get a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. But I remember in the being in the British High Commission and watching the news, they had the BBC News on in there as well. And the little ticker came up on the bottom of BBC News saying 40,000 people now thought of as being killed, right? Now, mm -hmm. of course, that number, you know, became four or five times as much after a, a more time. But I remember yeah. thinking, I remember being completely blown away, even by 40,000 people at the time. Yeah. And thinking, oh, my God, I can't believe I survived when 40,000 people have died. And then, of mm. course, it turned into almost a quarter of a million people. So as the numbers went up and up and up, the incredul incredulity of having survived something like that became bigger and bigger and bigger. Sure. Um, and what emotions 
<clears throat> did you experience as a result of being a survivor when so many had lost? So this is um, something that I kind of talk about quite a lot in, in my book. I had a lot of survivor guilt. Um, yeah. I felt very guilty for having been saved, especially because I wasn't married and I didn't have children. And I knew so many people that they had lost their loved ones, their partners. Nate himself lost his partner in the tsunami. Mm. I know parents that lost their children. I know children that lost their parents. And it's a big, it's a big thing. You know, uh, obviously, you know, something like that is a hugely traumatic event, you know, um, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder is commonplace after any natural disaster like that. And survivor guilt is actually one of the components of PTSD. Because you survive something horrendous. And and I was actually, you know, depressed before I went to Sri Lanka. And I had suffered on and off from depression for some time. Mm -hmm. And I used to actually fantasize about being in some kind of natural disaster and dying because I kind of didn't really want to be here so then it was even worse that then I'd survived because obviously and but during the tsunami when I was fighting tooth and nail I realized how much I was fighting and a little voice inside me sort of said remember this you don't want to die so don't pretend that you want to die because I I fought so hard to stay alive so only in the moments where you're really tested with the these kind of you know life or death scenarios you know somebody that's depressed and thinks that they want a way out and then you are given the opportunity and you don't Mm. take that way out so Mm. quite remarkable um what actually comes through in those in those vital moments yeah of course definitely definitely so with the, the survivor guilt um how did you overcome that um For me, and I talked about this in my interview with Oprah as well, I really felt like there was a purpose in having been saved. Mm -hmm. I thought myself, even when Oprah interviewed me, which was only a few days after the tsunami, she uh, she says to me, you you know, how are you coping? And I said, well, I know that there must be some purpose in having been saved. I don't know what that purpose is yet, but I'm sure that it's become clear because I owe it to the lives of the 230,000 people that have died to make my life mean something and be worthwhile, you know, because Mm. I survived when they didn't. So I wanted to make sure that I honored their memory and made something of my life as a result. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So talk me through um, what you've done with regards to, to, transforming sort of that that guilt which i imagine still pops up every now and again because it's a natural human emotion um but having that mission like you know like i said in the introduction your mission now is to impact inspire and support um a quarter of a million people so did you almost turn that guilt into your fuel to 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 create this legacy this memory absolutely so you know obviously i did suffer from ptsd for some time afterwards so it took me a while to overcome that but um but my survivor guilt and my kind of like this feeling of like i need to make my life mean something i need to make it worthwhile this drove me to working in iraq during the war in 2008 I got a job with an NGO there and it was an American NGO based in the red zone. And I ended up going to Iraq in the middle of the war zone, living in the red zone, not even the green zone and um, delivering projects and programs for internally displaced people, refugees and helping some of the departments to um, uh, training some of the, you know, the Ministry of Migration, the senior level departments to um, kind of like retrain their staff because they lost so many people during the war. So that was one way that my um, my survivor guilt played out. And I remember I was on the phone to a friend of mine from Scotland. And while I was on the phone to him, there was some shooting in the background and he turned around to me and he said to me, he said, what's that noise? 
I said, oh, that's just some shooting. And he said, have you gone insane? Why are you living in a war zone? Um, mm. But it, it was very normal to me by then because I'd gotten used to bombs going off 10 times a day and shooting going off uh, mm. random points of the day because you kind of normalise to it, I suppose. But that statement made me realise that I had really put myself in quite a dangerous situation all over again, almost replicating a tsunami in a way, but a, but a um, man-made kind of like disaster this time. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, um, obviously you mentioned that you have PTSD and um, that that is very common in people who have um, survived natural disasters um, and common full stop, really. I think it's, it's something that perhaps isn't discussed enough. Uh, would you mind just rewinding a little bit and just talking a bit about what that kind of looked like for you, but also what support you had to help you kind of over, overcome it, manage it, that then led you to putting yourself in this position when you're then in a, a war zone? helping other people? I was very lucky. I was living with a friend uh, of mine at the time who um, was in social social care, basically. She managed children's homes. So she got hold of a an excellent trauma psychologist for me at my local hospital who'd actually dealt with um, some serious, you know, he, he got flown into all the disaster zones and had a lot of experience. Right. So I had some um, trauma therapy with him, and um, the, like I said, he 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 was regularly flowing into these types of scenarios, and um, so I did my PTSD sort of like therapy counselling, whatever you want to call it, uh, with him, and it was immensely uh, helpful, and um, and I kind of continued with that for some time, I suppose. Um, I just had this kind of thing of this, the drive to, uh, to do something special or do something unusual or, you know, that, that really honoured those people was very strong in me. Mm. So of course, we would just talk about survivor guilt in those sessions. But um, before, I'd, before I was in the tsunami, I, you know, I kind of want, I wanted to be a foreign correspondent, which also involves being in the war zone. So this was right. a, a new kind of concept to me. It wasn't just because of the tsunami. It was sure. something I grew up wanting to do. So I suppose it wasn't that much of a, a reach for me in that sense. Um, and then obviously, you know, in my quest for making something, making my life mean something and finding my purpose and making it worthwhile and, you know, in honour of the people that died. You know, now obviously I work as a holistic transformational coach. So yeah. for people, you know, to overcome, you know, I have been supporting people to overcome depression and stress and anxiety. But now, and now, and my mission really is to inspire and impact uh, the same amount of people that passed in the tsunami um, to inspire, impact and support that same number of people to find their deeper purpose and their passion in life mm -hmm. so that we can turn this into a real movement and turn it into something, you know, where people wake up to what it is that they really want to do because people are so busy with the routine of things, the nine to five, the eight to six and the, the families and the school runs and the sleepless nights that we just forget that there is a something more that we're here for and yeah. to help people really connect into what that is and to discover it within themselves and to wake up every morning and to feel like they have this real purpose and it and you know that they have this real spring in their step from mm. having this kind of like joy within them this it's like a flow that you get like a real energetic flow when you're when you're really living your purpose. So that's kind yeah. of what I would want to help create um, around. And do you feel that, that obviously after, over the years of support um, uh, that, that you have had, that obviously you have now found 
your sense of purpose and that purpose is now to to take everything you've learned from the tsunami and other experiences that you've gone through and to show people that actually there are choices and that that when faced with something or got, having gone through something like yourself that actually it doesn't doesn't have to define you in the way that perhaps people automatically think it does and that it can then be used to to go on and create good things yeah i mean and it's funny you should say that emma because uh, i've had this i've had multiple near-death experiences and i've mm. had multiple near-death experiences before the age of 40. this is just one of them yeah and, um, I, and I sort of talk about it also on my website, like it took me a number of, you know, life telling me what I was doing wrong with these multiple near-death experiences mm. before I finally realised that I was on the wrong path and then had to pivot. But um, I definitely now view every single challenge I've ever faced in my life as a blessing in disguise because I wouldn't be the person that I am today and I wouldn't be the coach that I am today. And I wouldn't have the passion and the inspiration and the joy and happiness that I have today if I hadn't gone through all those terribly dark things that I went through. Mm. And really my mission is to, is, to tell, is to show people that you can go through multiple bad experiences. Bad things happen to good people. Uh, good things happen to bad people. There is no rhyme or reason in it sometimes. Mm. And you can overcome it all and to not give up. Don't give up hope because, you know, I was hopeless at times in the past. And now I think to myself, well, if I had have taken my life when I was younger, I wouldn't be here now doing the work that I'm doing and supporting other people and supporting my clients and being happier and more fulfilled and content and having this bigger mission around impacting and inspiring a quarter of a million people. So it really is a case of like life gives you lemons, so make lemonade. Um, and noticing and realizing that all the challenges that we face, that there is some method in the madness, you know, there is, there is some kind of like deeper purpose. And if you can overcome those things and just hang in there and know that there is light at the end of the tunnel, then you too can, you know, can overcome any challenge and, you know, and be happier at the end of it all. Sure. And, you know, that's incredibly powerful stuff, 100%. And, and I would just love to know, like, because so many people, like you say, perhaps are scared to follow their true passion. Um, because they haven't got it all figured out yet or it you know it's taking them out of their comfort zone um and even though people aren't necessarily happy with the way things are they know what they're getting with it type of thing so what advice or support would you give someone what words of encouragement would you give someone who you know is teetering on the edge of of wanting to follow their passion but then not really sure how to get started or or what to do because it's not about how that's all going to happen, essentially, is it? Like we all get caught up in the detail. But what advice can you give people to move them away from that detail and tap into what their true passion and purpose is and to know that that is their true passion and purpose and actually that it's okay to not know everything? Absolutely. I mean, this is what I see every day. People existing rather than living. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but we only get one life that we remember anyway and um we need to make the most of it not just for other people but for ourselves you know um we need to make the most of um, our time here on the earth to benefit ourselves and for the for the greater good as well so my advice is if you're teetering on the edge just go for it the problem that we have in the west a lot of is we are in our heads all the time we overthink things we worry we 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 are anxious we just are in our heads the whole time the best way to do this kind of work is to get into your body get into your heart center tap into your intuition 
you know, take those five, 10, 15 minutes a day to meditate, to get in touch with who you are, breathe deeply and relax. Because when we're in that state, that's when all the inspiration and, and answers come to us. Not when we're thinking about, oh, what shall I do now? What shall I do now? This is why I've always found my most inspiring times are when I'm on holiday. Mm, three weeks, four weeks, and it's because I'm not in a city, I'm relaxed, and I just let myself go. You know, I get out of my head and into my body and into my heart space more. Mm. I'm not suggesting that you all, that everybody needs to go on holiday to, to find that, um, because it exists within us. It exists within mm. of us. We've all got something within us that says something whatever you want to call it and i'm not talking about our inner critics either because that's another voice that we can yeah. talk about in another uh, session but um the, i'm talking about the kind of like the deeper kind of self you know i had this feeling for years before i found my my true calling um and i could feel it inside me it's something that you feel and it's like a mm -hmm. It's the thing that you used to love doing when you were a child, probably. The thing that used to give you real amounts of joy, whether it was painting, whether it was, you know, uh, building, you know, or whether it was um, uh, writing. You, some, you know, we all had stuff that we really loved as a child. And then slowly, as we get older, and our parents tell us, no, we can't do this, we've got to do that, or our teachers say, you're not going to be any good at this, then we come up with all these limiting beliefs and we start to limit ourselves and what we're able to do. But these are just limiting beliefs and you know we can actually achieve a lot with the right mindset. And we just need to believe in ourselves, believe in yeah. ourselves, trust in ourselves and have faith in ourselves. Is there anything that you, you do in particular? I mean, you've mentioned the, the, the meditation piece and for me, that has been a game changer because we're so caught up in chaos, whether it's distractions of social media or society today, or, you know, comparing how many likes certain photos have got and all that. sort. we get so caught up in, in other people that we forget to actually take the time to check in with ourselves and to, to check that we are still doing what we want to be doing. Um, so do you have a morning routine or a practice that, that you use with yourself or with your clients that really helps people to kind of listen to their intuition? Like you say, everyone's got a gut feel. People can all relate to that gut feel. Oh, I knew I shouldn't have done it or I knew I should have done it and I didn't. Um, but is there a particular practice that works well for you that you could share with other people that just calms the chaos down that allows you to, to, to tap into the purpose and to give you the, the mind and body confidence to go for it. Yeah. I mean, I have, I have um, a lot of things that I do to help keep me on track and uh, I won't go into all of them here, otherwise we might be here all day, but um, yeah. I can share one or two of them. So I've talked about meditation already. The other thing, and this is something that I use with my clients and I use with them all very early on, is positive affirmations. People yeah. do not realise how much a positive affirmation or a mantra has an impact on your day-to-day. -day. The things that we say to ourselves... You know, whether it's negative chit chat or whether it's positive chit chat, have a huge impact on our state of being, our happiness, and all those kind of things. You can take the same day and with a negative mindset and with a positive mindset, and you'll get two completely different outcomes of the day. So, the, what you want to be doing is you want to be really coming out of this space of complaining and moaning and thinking about what you don't have all the time because that just is a negative vibration and what you're wanting to do is you're wanting to really be raising your vibration all the time 
So sticking with the positivity, you know, so having positive affirmations. If you're feeling, if you're not confident in yourself, do affirmations that help you be confident in you. You know, think about things, the, the areas in your life that you feel need work and do positive affirmations around them. And then watch the inner critic, watch that negative voice. We've all got it. It's that mm. annoying, nagging voice that's there telling us we're not good enough. We're too fat. We're ugly. We're this, we're that, you know, mm. uh, he doesn't like you. All this stuff that goes on, all this kind of negative chitter chatter, get control of that negative chitter chatter just because it's going on doesn't mean to say any of it is true. So control mm. thoughts and positive affirmations and just keep coming back to the body come back to the heart center keep coming back to the heart center move out of the head and into the heart and that's where you're going to hear yourself truly you know i love that that statement but years ago i never really fully understood it when they say get out of your head but you can just be so all consuming with the problems or trying to find a solution that there is no space for anything to come in anyway. And so it is so important. And like you said, you know, one of the quickest ways to do that is by changing the language that you use and have it a lot more focused on the outcomes that you want rather than the everything that's going wrong. Um, and I love, I don't know if you've seen it, there's various different forms of um, have you seen the rice experiment where you've got love, hate and, and um, kind of unsure written on the rice and the love one blossoms and the other two go mouldy and it just really does highlight, you know, when you speak nicely to yourself and to other people, <clears throat> you grow as people like you, you blossom, you flourish. But the minute that you start um, beating yourselves up with, you know, language and everything it just dampens your motivation and your energy and you're never going to find the right solution the whole time that you are telling yourself what an idiot you are or how you're never going to be as good as other people so i totally am 100 with you on the power of mantras and affirmations providing they're done right because so many people will just say things for the sake of saying things pick a, an affirmation willy-nilly because that's what they've been told to do. But the moment that you personalize it to the way in which you want to think and feel, boom, it, it's totally different ball game. Um, and this is, without... yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Emma. No, this no, is, no. This is the thing with them, positive affirmations, is that, you know, it's not just about saying them. You have to feel yeah. when you're doing it, you have to be really feeling it. If you're saying, I'm amazing. You need to be really putting that energy behind it of I'm amazing, you know, or I'm loved. You can't be just saying things wrote, uh, you know, like a um, robot, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm this, I'm that, whatever. That's, that's not going to work. It's the intention behind yeah. it works. And, you know, having the intention behind it and, you know, we're talking earlier, but negativity begets negativity. Mm. And positivity begets positivity. The more positive you are, the more opportunities come your way, the more the universe opens up for you. You know, mm. lovely things begin happening to you. You have chance encounters with, with people that, you know, that open doors for you. I mean, yeah. I've had some amazing experiences um, when I've been in that really lovely state um, where things just happen. They, you don't need to force them. Because yeah. when you are aligned in yourself, and, and you'll know what I mean when I say aligned in ourselves, because, because everybody has this, you either have a sense of disconnect and like there's something missing and you're not quite sure, but you didn't really think that this was what life was all about, or you feel like you're completely in the flow and that you're, you know, that you're living your best life, right? Yeah. A lot of us, you know, do you fall into the first one? So you kind of already know, deep down inside, you know that you're not living your best life, but you don't know how or where to start. So this mm. is what things, this is how and where to start. You know, um, yeah. Perfect. So be mindful of your language and stop complaining. <laughs> yeah, because you only have one voice, so let's make it a positive one. Um, I'm doing a lot about 
the way in which people speak at the moment with um, a couple of projects that I'm working on and, and with some clients. And it's just so powerful. It really is. But Ali, mm. I mean, you've shared um, so much with us today and, you know, the, the insight into sort of that tragic um, event that happened is like, it's, it's eye-opening um, on so many levels, but seeing how you've turned it into your motivation and you have obviously, you know, it, it, that didn't happen overnight. There was a lot of healing and there was a lot of um, emotions that you had to go through. And what I really like is the fact that, that you didn't try and do it on your own and that um, you reached out for the support that you needed at the time um, in order to get you to the next step. And then once you heal there to the next step. And I think that's so important is that um, all too often when we make this decision or what, when we're going through PTSD or depression or anxiety, that we just, we want it, everything to be right now. And like, but actually it's a gradual thing. And the, and the more that you can understand and, and have your mindset on the fact that just by getting from A to B will allow you to get from B to C and that will then build momentum. And it's knowing what um, support around you um, that's available that can help you to do that and to know that you don't have to do it all on your own and, um, and that help is out there. And, you know, everyone will have wobbles. Um, and so it's just having that kind piece, being kind to yourself as well, isn't it? And um, exactly. It's important to know, you know, this, this didn't, this didn't happen overnight for me. You know, it took no. 10 years of, of other struggles and other things that I went through. And people do want a quick fix these days, but mm. real transformation is not a quick fix. So just mm. because you don't get better within a couple of months, don't think that you're not getting better, okay? Stick mm. with it. You're in it for the long haul, okay? Have faith in yourself. Have faith that things do happen for some kind of reason, even if we don't understand it at the time. And just allow yourself to just kind of like, go through what you need to go through in order to come out the other end. And yeah. never, ever, ever hesitate to get support. I have done this because I have had a lot of my own support over the years, you know, and I still have my coaches now. I still have mentors now. And it's, it's funny because I speak to a number of people and they say, but the thing is, is I'm coping at the moment. And I'm like, Life is not about coping, it's about thriving. It's not just yeah. about surviving, it's about thriving. You know, mm. and, um, and that's kind of what Megan Markell said recently as well. She yeah. said, you know, life isn't just about this, it's about we want to be happy, you know. And, yeah. and this is a very, can be a very British thing that we do kind of like, we're like, oh, we, we you know, the whole stiff upper lip kind of thing and, um, you know, I'll be fine. I can, I can manage kind of thing. It's not about managing. It's about living your life and being happy and living your best version of your life. Because you don't yeah. want to lie there when you're, when you're 70 and 80 and look back on your life and then think of all the things that you could have done that didn't and you didn't. Yeah, sure. Awesome. Annie, for, for me, you're a true inspiration. The fact that I'm interviewing you and you're in, back in Sri Lanka as well is just, you know, it's lovely but you still see Sri Lanka as your little piece of, of escapism from London and, and the fact that, you know, it's beautiful and that, that you are comfortable there. Um, and so I just want to say a massive thank you for sharing the insights in your journey, but also as a, as a coach yourself. Um, one thing I always ask everyone I interview is what is your mindset mantra? Is there having spoken about mantras for, the last few minutes is there a particular saying that you have to get you out of that funkiness and to get you back on track or one that puts a smile on your face i just always connect into the source you know and as a as i connect into the source i i just know that i am part of the, the the universe and that you know that we are all part of the universe and all you know cosmic children divine people in our own right and mm. 
you know, that we can all do anything that we want to do. There's no limits on anything, you know. So one of the things that I have on my on my mantras is I can do anything. Um, so that's one of the many mantras that I, yeah. that I use myself throughout yeah. the day. Yeah, yeah. I love it. And we can if we choose to. And that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? And it's, you know, and people choose not to as well, but don't fool yourself into thinking that you're not making a choice. Because even yeah. if you're deciding not to, you're making a choice that you don't want to, that you're letting yeah. life happen to you. So just, yeah. just own it, you know? Yeah, 100%. It's been amazing. Um, for anyone that's listening that would like to know more about you or to, you know, to connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah, so you can find me on uh, my website, which is Annie, A-N-I, coaching.com. So that's mm -hmm. Annie, A-N-I, coaching, C-O-A-C-H-I-N-G.com. And you can email me on Annie, A-N-I, at AnnieCoaching.com as well. So ah. I'm also found on Facebook as Annie Nackley, um, which is again A-N-I, and then surname is N-A-Q-V-I. And that's on Instagram as well, if you're an Insta person. Well, all, the, all your contact details will be, um, will be added to the, to the show notes. Um, you mentioned briefly a book. I heard my ears pricked up at that point. Um, so hopefully over the next couple of months, will there be a book out for people to, to read about? Yeah, so maybe not, maybe not a couple of months, but, but soon, yes, there will be, there is a book that is um, almost finished and yes, we're looking to get it published. So there will be a book if you want to read my, read my story, um, which goes into a lot more detail, obviously, about the whole um, beginning, during and after the tsunami uh, kind of brings us up to where we are today, then... Um, you know, uh, that will be available as well. So keep an eye out on my website for that. Indeed. Well, thanks ever so much, Annie. And if anyone does um, feel that they want to, to reach out to Annie or have any questions for her, then either direct them to myself, to Annie, or directly to her. Um, so, yeah, it's been an honour and a privilege. So thank you very much. And thank you, thank you all much. for listening. And I look forward to seeing you all next week. Bye for now. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this show, please head over to iTunes, subscribe and leave a review. Bye for now.